I'd like to welcome you to Prairie View Christian Church. I'm glad you've chosen to worship here with us this morning. We're very grateful for those of you who are members of this church, who contribute faithfully during our time of offering just now. We're very grateful for that. Grateful for the faithfulness that you all have shown us over the years by continuing to help us keep the lights on, keep the doors open, keep ministries functioning, and keep serving and loving people with the love of Christ. So we're very grateful for that. Now, last week, we were in the Eighth Commandment. We were in our Ten Commandments series. We're coming down the home stretch. And we talked about the Eighth Commandment, which says, You shall not steal. And we talked about a lot of things with that Eighth Commandment. There's a lot to be said there. We talked about how God charges his people to respect the idea of ownership. Because of the effects of sin in the world, there has to be a concept of ownership. There have to be parameters. There have to be some laws set in place or else it would be a complete state of anarchy, a complete state of chaos if there was no concept of ownership, no concept of personal property. And God's people are called to respect that. God's people are called to be examples of that order in the midst of chaos. We talked about Martin Luther's definition of stealing, and he defined it as acquiring property by any unjust means. And we talked about the fact that if we really take that definition of stealing seriously, then that kind of expands the definition. It's no longer just about taking something that isn't mine or blatantly robbing someone of something that they have that I want. It could be a little bit bigger than that. It could be a little bit more complicated than that. There might be more gray areas if we look at stealing in that way. We talked about Zacchaeus, a man who became a thief. He became a chief tax collector, which was considered one of the ultimate forms of treachery and betrayal against his people. And Zacchaeus was good at it. He acquired wealth. He gained a pretty good standing. He had some money. He accumulated some stuff. But when Jesus comes to town, it becomes clear that Zacchaeus may still be looking for something. So he climbs up into a tree to see past the crowd and hear Jesus speak and see this guy that everyone is raving about. Jesus then calls Zacchaeus down. He invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And sure enough, Zacchaeus repents of his sin. He agrees to right all the people that he has wronged over the years, even though that will probably cost him all the wealth that he had accumulated. Jesus shows Zacchaeus value that no one else would. And as a result, Zacchaeus comes to realize that the only thing worth having that lasts into eternity is something that you can't steal because it's a gift from God. It's a gift from God shown to us through what Christ has done for us. It's a gift from God that can't be stolen from us because it rests secure on what Christ has already done for us. And it also can't be stolen from us because we freely share it with anyone and everyone who hasn't heard it yet. Now, that brings us to where we are today, the ninth commandment. Again, we're coming towards the end of this series and we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. That is the commandment which says you shall not bear False witness. So if you have a Bible with you, open up with me to that passage, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to use one of the Bibles that we provide underneath our chairs. That will be on page 53 if you're going to use one of those Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, grab one from the welcome desk before you leave today. But before we actually get into Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, before we talk about all the ramifications of you shall not bear false witness, Let's pray together and then we'll get started. So if you would, please pray with me. Father, we're grateful. 
We are grateful that the gift that you have given us, it's not something that we have to steal. It's something that you freely offer. And we are grateful for that. We don't deserve that, and it is humbling. But you give it to us nonetheless, which is just an incredible testament to your grace. And God, I pray this morning as we talk about bearing false witness, this is something that has affected every single one of us in one way or another. But I pray that as we talk about this commandment, as you've done all the previous weeks up to today, that you'll continue to reveal yourself to us through your word, that you'll show us what's important to you, show us a little bit about your character and show us what we're called to view as important as well. I pray that you'll continue working in our hearts, working in our minds, changing us and transforming us, not so that people can be amazed at how much we've changed, but so people can be amazed at how much you've done in us. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time of worship, this time of communion, and this time of hearing your word together. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, I want to start out with a question. This is not a rhetorical question. I really want you to answer it. I don't want you to answer it vocally, but I want you to raise your hand. So let me ask you this. Raise your hand if you've ever been lied to. Raise your hand if you've ever been lied to, okay? Now raise your hand if you've ever lied. Okay? If you didn't raise your hand at any point during those questions, you can now because you just lied. Every single one of us has lied. Every single one of us has been lied to at one point or another. And the truth is that when I ask those questions and you raise your hand, you may even have one particular lie that sticks out in your mind. You may have that one instance where someone lied to you and you just can't forget it. Or maybe you have that one instance where you lied to someone else and you still feel guilty about it to this day. The reason I ask that question about whether or not we've lied or whether or not we've been lied to is because at its core, this ninth commandment is a commandment about honesty. And when it comes to honesty, every single one of us, as we just saw, we know how powerful lies can be. We have all been affected by lies in one way or another. Maybe you were lied to by a significant other, a husband, a wife, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, and you had never felt that kind of heartache before. But when you experienced that lie, it just ripped your heart out of your chest and you never would wish that upon anybody. That's how painful it was for you. Maybe you've been lied to by a close friend and you thought that you could trust this person, but it turns out you've been betrayed. And as a result, that relationship will never be the same again. You can't take it back. Maybe you've been lied to by a family member. These people who are supposed to know us best and may be able to trust them more than anybody else in our lives... They've violated our trust and you felt that heartache. Maybe you feel as though you've been lied to by Christians. You've been lied to by the church. And so as a result, you are cynical of anything and everything that Christianity would have to say, that scripture would have to say, or that someone like me standing on a stage in a church would have to say, because that's how much it hurt. But maybe you don't think of a time when you've been lied to. Maybe you are thinking of that time when you've been the perpetrator not the victim. You've been guilty of it, and you've seen the impact that it had on you and the impact that it had on the people around you. Those relationships that were hurt or maybe even broken completely, the reputation you had spent so much time building all of a sudden was tarnished, your career that you're working so hard to advance in, all of a sudden no one trusts you 
and you feel as though you'll never gain that credibility back. Whether you've been hurt by a lie or whether you've been guilty of a lie, every single one of us can agree that lies have consequences. In 2002, there was a young man named Brian Banks. He was a senior in high school, and he was expected to be one of the best future NFL players in the country. He had signed a scholarship to play football at the University of Southern California, one of the best football schools in the country. But then that senior year, Brian Banks was accused of raping a classmate in the hallway of his school. And Banks maintained his innocence from day one. He said that he did not commit this crime. He did not rape this young woman. But his lawyer advised him to plead no contest. He said, you know, it just won't do you any favors if you plead not guilty. Your best bet is plead no contest. So Banks did just that, even though he insisted that he was innocent. As a result, he was charged with six years in prison, five years probation, and would have to be a registered sex offender for the rest of his life. He would never lose that title. But in 2011, three years after Banks was released from jail, the victim contacted him on Facebook and asked if they could meet in person. And the victim admitted to Brian Banks that she had made the entire story up in hopes that she could gain money from lawsuits against him from lawsuits against the school corporation for negligence. Little did she know that Brian Banks was recording the entire conversation. So as a result, Banks turned in the video of that conversation, and in 2012, he was exonerated of that crime. He was declared not guilty. The convictions were removed. And Banks tried to continue chasing that dream of being that NFL player, the thing that he seems as though he was destined to do. And it has a nice ending, doesn't it, about how the truth comes out and honesty ultimately wins and justice is done. But even then, Brian Banks would tell you that, you know, it wasn't the perfect ending because to this day, he still hasn't been able to fulfill that dream of being an NFL player. He still has never really gotten that shot. It seems as though it was too late for him to fulfill that dream that was stolen from him by a lie, by someone bearing false witness. Lies are powerful. They have great power for damage and pain and destruction and heartache in our lives. And if we know this, we can certainly believe that God knows this too. Look at Zechariah chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. We read in that passage, These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. God hates a false oath, is what that passage says. Look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 5. We read in that passage, A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. God knows how powerful lies can be. He knows the destruction they can cause. That's clear in Zechariah. That's clear in Proverbs. But it's especially clear in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. That commandment where God says, you shall not bear false witness. Now, when we hear that term, false witness, it's not really a phrase that we use in everyday life. When we hear false witness, we immediately probably picture a courtroom setting. 
We picture a judge and we picture a jury and we picture a defendant and we see someone pleading their case, saying that I'm guilty or I'm not guilty or laying their hand on a Bible and swearing to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that is certainly important. The courtroom setting does matter, especially in this time. This was a time in Israel's history where there's no such thing as DNA testing. There's no such thing as surveillance cameras. And so if God's nation is going to be a nation of justice, a nation where crimes are paid accordingly, where no one is accused falsely, then honesty better be of the highest virtue. Because you couldn't have those things to confirm a crime or reject an accusation. The only way justice was going to prevail in this nation was if people valued honesty. If people told the truth. If people were not willing to bear false witness. But again, as people who have experienced the effects of lies, we can all testify to the fact that Honesty matters not just in a courtroom setting, but it matters in every single phase of our lives. And of all people, we are often just as tempted to bear false witness as anybody else. Maybe we're tempted to bear false witness because of fear. We lie because we want to save our own skin because we did something wrong and we don't want people to find out about it. And so we make up a story and assume that it's not going to hurt anybody. Maybe we're tempted to lie because of revenge. There's someone who has wronged us. There's someone who has mistreated us. And so we make up a lie about them to hurt their reputation, to hurt their future, to get back at them for what they did to us. Maybe we lie because of selfish gain. We see that in cases of fraud. We see that in cases of identity theft. That happens quite a bit. Maybe we're tempted to lie because of pride, because we don't want to admit that we got something wrong. And so we lied in order to save face instead of having to face the fact that maybe we were wrong about something or maybe that person was right when they said, I'm going to tell you, I told you so. If you go through with this, we are often tempted to bear false witness and we're tempted to do it in a world that does it all the time. We live in a world of false witness. It seems like no matter where you go, you can't get away from advertisements, whether they're billboards or newspapers or radio or TV or anything else. Advertisements which lie to us that tell us that we have to have this product or else we cannot possibly survive, even though we've made it this far without it. We live in a world that sells us the lie that if we just have more sex or more money or more fame or more success, then we'll finally be fulfilled. And we often buy into that lie. Lies are all around us. They affect every single one of us. They affect the people that we love. They affect the people that we don't really want to love quite as much. They affect the people that go to church with us. They affect the people that live in the same homes as we do. And lies are all over our culture. The problem of false witness is a dark problem. It's a scary problem. And it's scary to think just how common it really is. But I don't want to spend all our time looking at that. I want to look a little bit at the opposite of false witness. So let's talk about truth. Truth is an important conversation to have. We've seen that several different times in our service already. Psalm 119 used that word truth in that psalm. 
And it's important that in this world full of lies, this world where we are often so tempted to lie ourselves, it's important to talk about truth and what is truth. But that's a difficult conversation to have in our society. We live in a postmodern society which can't even really agree on what truth is all about. Anytime you talk about truth, the question is going to be asked, now wait a minute, before we make assumptions, can we even assume that truth exists? Can we even assume that there's any such thing as truth, much less an objective truth that remains the same all the time? Maybe there is truth, but maybe it just changes with the cultures. Maybe it changes with time. And what's true for people 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago might not be true for us. And the same can be said on the other side. What's true for us may not be true for people in the future. Does objective truth exist? And not only that, if it does exist, then what is objective truth? What's true and what's false? What's accurate witness and what's false witness? But even if we get that far, okay, truth exists. What is truth? But who gets to decide what's true and what's not true? Who gets to determine what the truth is and what the truth isn't? Friedrich Nietzsche once wrote, truths are illusions, which we have forgotten are illusions. That is a powerful statement. That is a powerful worldview to hold. And if you really embrace that, that leads to a worldview of chaos. I believe that every single one of us would probably affirm that if we were to jump right now, we would come back down. The truth of gravity exists. There are truths out there, and we affirm that here at Prairie View. We affirm that truth does exist, and we affirm that it exists because God himself created it. We affirm that God himself is truth. In his letter to Titus, Paul writes, God is the one who does not lie. God does not lie. And we affirm that God is the one who decides what's true and what isn't true. And the best way for us to discover that truth is to look into his word to tap into the Holy Spirit that he has given us as his followers, as his people. And then we look at creation around us. We see the way the world functions, the way he created it, and it testifies to the fact that there is truth, and he's the source of it. Now, these are all nice theological and philosophical tenets to hold, that truth exists, and God is truth, and God is the one who decides what's true and what's not. That's all well and good, but how do we as God's people embrace truth on an everyday level, in a world that is so full of lies, in a world where we are so often tempted to bear false witness? Well, there are several key points I want to look at. Number one, we are called to be honest with and about ourselves. That's point number one, honest with ourselves. And what I say when I mean by that is who we are apart from Christ is something that we need to be honest about. When we are apart from Christ, we are sinful. We are hopeless. We are blind. We are lost. We are dead. These are all phrases that scripture uses. And that's not a popular truth in this world. We live in a world where the pop theology is that God created you exactly the way that you are called to be, and God would never expect you to change. And you just need to find who you really are at the core, and that's really all that matters. But again, that is a lie that society feeds us, that the world feeds us. 
who we are apart from Christ, if we're really honest with ourselves, and if we look to God's word for that truth, it's not a good state to be in. But on the other side of the coin, we need to be honest about who we are because of Christ. We are still sinful, don't get me wrong, but we're forgiven. We were once hopeless, but now we're hopeful. We were once blind, but now our eyes have been opened by God's grace. We were once lost, but now we have been found. We were once dead, but we are now alive. And it is important that we are honest about both of those things. Because the world tells us that we are perfectly fine without God, but Satan tells us that even after we become followers of Jesus, then we're still hopeless. Do you really think that God could possibly save you, is what Satan would say. After all you've done, after all you've said, after all that I've seen you do, after all your family and your friends have seen you do, do you really buy into the idea that God could possibly forgive you, that God could possibly want you? Satan gives us that lie all the time. He bears false witness against us all the time. Scripture refused to Satan as the accuser. The world tells us that we're fine without Christ. And Satan tells us that we're still hopeless even if we have Christ. And both of those things are lies. Tim Keller writes, The gospel of justifying faith means that while Christians are in themselves still sinful and sinning, yet in Christ, in God's sight, they are accepted and righteous. So we can say that we are more wicked than we ever dared believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope at the very same time. Think about that. More wicked than we ever dared believe, but more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. That's the truth about who we are. Apart from Christ, we are dead. Apart from Christ, we are hopeless. But with Christ, we are hopeful and we are alive and we need to be reminded of those truths. So we're honest with ourselves. The next thing I want to focus on is we're honest with God. There are times when we as followers of Jesus will be tempted to bear false witness about how we're really doing in our spiritual lives. We maybe want to put on this facade that we never wrestle with doubt We never have any questions. We never have any worries. We never sit back and wonder, you know, Christ said he was going to come back, but it's been a really long time, hasn't it? I wonder if all this stuff is really true. I wonder if all this stuff is all that it's cracked up to be. I wonder if maybe this is all just one big hoax. We can be honest with God about our doubt. We can be honest with God about our questions. We're called to be honest with God about our weakness, as Izzy talked about. We all go through hardships. We all go through challenges. And we don't have to pretend that everything's great when we talk to God. We don't have to pretend like everything is wonderful because God knows what's really happening. God knows the challenges that we face. He knows the state of our hearts. He knows the thoughts that go through our minds. And so we don't have to hide those things. We can be honest about those things. We don't have to bear false witness about those things, because God loves us even in the midst of our weakness. And we're called to be honest with God in terms of repentance. We are called as followers of Jesus to have a healthy understanding of what repentance is, to be confessing our sins to God, to be embracing the forgiveness that he offers us at the cross. 
and to be striving to better reflect him in every single phase of life. We don't have to lie to God about our doubt. We don't have to bear false witness about our weakness. And we are called to be honest with God as we repent of our sin. So we're honest with ourselves. We're honest with God. We're honest with each other. As followers of Jesus, we're called to deal with one another in a way that reflects justice, in a way that reflects honesty, in a way that reflects transparency. There are certain things that we won't share with every single person, but when we walk through these doors and nothing is going right for us and someone says, how you doing? We don't have to smile and say, good, how are you? I'm glad everything's going well for you. But little do you know that my whole world is falling apart. We don't have to lie to one another and we are not called to lie to one another. And in the same way that we confess our sins openly and honestly to God, we confess our sins openly and honestly to one another so that we might encourage one another and build one another up and even hold one another accountable when those times come. We are honest enough to rebuke one another and correct one another because those times will come and those conversations will be difficult, but we're called to have them all the same. Because if we didn't have them, we probably really wouldn't be loving that person. So we're honest with ourselves, we're honest with God, we're honest with each other, and finally we're honest about the gospel. And this is a really, really important one in our world today. I believe that we are called not to sacrifice the gospel on the altar of political correctness. We're not called to sacrifice the gospel on the altar of cultural expectations. So we acknowledge the reality of sin. We acknowledge the fact that people apart from Christ have no hope in eternity. And we're honest about the fact that salvation is exclusively found in Christ alone, in a world that buys into the lie that all paths lead to the same summit when it comes to God. No, we proclaim the truth about the gospel, all of it, No matter how challenging that is, no matter how unpopular that might make us, no matter how outdated it may make us sound, we proclaim the gospel for all that it is, not bearing false witness or sacrificing parts of it for the sake of acceptance. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus refers to himself as the truth, and it's only through the Father that we can come to salvation. It's only through him that we approach the Father. It's only through Christ that we find grace, that we find forgiveness, that we find that hope that Keller talked about. And so we proclaim that boldly. And we don't sacrifice that. We don't mince words about that. We tell the whole truth. And all of this, we do this in the context of love. Because if we don't do these things in the context of love, then really... We're not accomplishing a whole lot. We aren't honest with ourselves just so that we can have higher self-esteem. We're honest with ourselves so that we can truly and more deeply understand what Christ has done for us and how deep his grace really goes. We're not honest with God so that we can stay in good standing with him or stay out of his doghouse. We're honest with God because our love for him compels us to be honest with him. We're not honest with each other in the church just so that we can keep the peace. We're honest with each other because we genuinely love one another as brothers and sisters. And we're not honest about the gospel so that we can 
make a point in our world or so that we can make ourselves out to be martyrs of people who are willing to tell the truth when no one else is willing to. No, we're honest about the gospel because we genuinely love people who don't know Christ and we want them to come to know Christ. And we want them to experience the truth of God's grace that is seen at the cross. If we don't do these things in the context of love, we aren't really accomplishing a whole lot. James MacDonald writes, All truth and no love is brutality. All love and no truth is hypocrisy. It's a powerful statement. We are called to be bastions of truth, but we are called to be bastions of love. And if we let either one of those areas weaken, if we're 60-40 on any of those areas, then we're going to have a problem. We're called to be truthful and we're called to be loving. And the way that we deal with one another and the way that we deal with those who don't know Christ and in the way that we stand on the truth that we've been given. You know, at its core, our mission as followers of Jesus, our mission is to bear witness to the truth in a world that is full of false witness. And we don't do it for our glory. We don't do it so that we might build a bigger church. We do it for the sake of God's glory. We do it for the sake of fulfilling that great commission to make disciples in the world around us. And if we refuse to tell the truth, if we refuse to bear witness about the truth that we see revealed in Scripture, the truth that we see revealed on the cross, if we refuse to do that, then that great commission is not going to be fulfilled at this church. So we proclaim the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God, no matter what the response might be, no matter what comes as a result. And we do it knowing that God is watching over us, that God is with us, that God loves us, and that we've been given the truth for a reason, that we might share it in a world that is full of lies. Let's pray. Father, your truth is beautiful, and your truth is humbling, and your truth is even overwhelming at times about who you are and what you've done for us and the mission that you've given us, that especially can be overwhelming. But God, we also believe the truth that you've given us your Holy Spirit, that we have been saved by your grace, that even though we were more wicked than we ever dared believe, we're also more loved and accepted than we could ever dare hope. And God, we are grateful for that. I pray that you'll give us boldness. I pray that you'll give us fearlessness to go out into the world and to proclaim your truth, to proclaim your gospel, no matter what the reception might be. I pray that we can speak truth to one another, that we can remind ourselves of the truth, that as we look for truth, we can look to your word before we go anywhere else. Thank you for your truth. And God, I pray that we will be people who refuse to bear false witness about you, Because that would be the most unloving thing we could ever do, to not share the truth about what you've done. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your grace. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In Genesis chapter 3, we read about the fall of man, the famous story of Adam and Eve when sin enters the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience. And as a result, that sin entered you, it entered me, it entered every single one of us. And that sounds like bad news, and it is bad news, but the good news is that God sent his son to pay the price 
for sin. To pay the price for my sin, to pay the price for your sin. The price that none of us could ever truly pay. God took the wrath upon himself that we deserve. God lived the perfect righteous life that we are called to live and yet we fail. That's the good news. And I pray that if you haven't accepted that yet, that you'll accept that today. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 say, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you are not yet a disciple of Christ, I pray that you will make that decision this morning, because the truth will set you free. Maybe you're already a follower of Christ, and yet you still feel as though you haven't really encountered the truth. You're still living with this attitude of trying to earn God's approval. You're still saddled with guilt from some lie that you've told in the past, from a time where you've borne false witness. Well, I would challenge you as well. Find freedom this morning. Turn to Christ and turn to the truth of God's grace. If you'd like to talk about any of those things, talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. They'd be happy to answer questions that you have, happy to pray with you, happy to be there for you in whatever way that you might need them. So take advantage of that.